The contents of the law report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the Lab Report, we're going to talk what we don't know about hormones. Part two. Apparently, there's going to be like 15 parts to this. It's a lot of parts. It is. It's not even an even number. <laughs> the world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. You came back from lunch wearing different glasses. Who does that? Who changes their glasses in the middle of the day? I would assume uh, people with two thumbs and say, this guy. <laughs> Hello! Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm doing great, Patty Devers. How are you? I am crushing it and living my best life. Sweet. Sweet. Glad to hear it. Thanks. Uh, so this is a podcast it's called mm-hmm. The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Thank you to Genova. Thank you. It's where we talk about some things like... Integrative medicine, functional medicine, precision, personalized medicine, mm-hmm. all the medicines. All the medicines. We also talk about specialty lab testing and therapeutics, mostly of the natural variety, yeah. health and wellness variety therapeutics, not so much the pharmaceutical therapeutics. Right, right. I mean, we'll talk about them where necessary. <laughs> well, if, if you're new We're to not opposed sh- to them. If you're new to the show, thank you for, sh- for stopping by. You picked a good day. Michael's wearing his second pair of glasses today. And... If you're returning, thank you for all of your support. And hopefully you would have gone and perhaps follow the show on iTunes or Spotify and rate, review, share with your friends. You ever refresh your browser? I do. But I have a lot of clothes. I don't change my outfit in the middle of the day. Why don't we do that? I don't know. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should. It's a good point. You you don't know what you've started. (laughs) I'm going to come in one day and like in the morning I'll be casual and Uh then I'll be in like a tuxedo when I come back from lunch. This is a great idea. I love this idea. Wearing my new 10-gallon hat boots wow. wow you think you could pull off tuxedo and boots yeah has that ever been tried of course it has have you ever like seen the country music awards i'm sure they all have tuxedos on and boots they're gonna wear cowboy boots yes i have seen the country music awards uh-huh. no but if, if you were betting a ma- if you were a betting woman okay all signs point that i might be watching them this year Based yeah, on everything, that's true. everything true. that's going on in my Michael life, so his new love of country music—it's true, man. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you have some of your favorite country singers that you would like to share with me, because I am on the list for acquiring new uh-huh. favorite country music singers, you can send that <laughs> feedback to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. Accepting all of your favorites anytime. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking requests now on air. <laughs> well, lastly, in our housekeeping. If you are a consumer out there and you're interested in Genova's testing and would like to access that yourself, head on over to connect.gdx.net. That's Genova Connect, where you can access testing for yourself and we can connect you with a Genova client somewhere in your area to help guide your health care. Yeah, and we've got this awesome promo code mm-hmm. if you want to put it in at checkout. Uh, it is Bootsido20. <laughs> no, it at- is not. That is not the promo code. What is the promo code, Michael? It's the Lab Report 20. Yes, that's 20% off. That's a lot of money. So, uh, what are we on about today? We're going to do this again. We are. Do we we really have more to talk about with respect to hormones and like all the pitfalls and traps and gray areas? Well, you know, after our prior episode, which was what we don't know about hormones part one, Mm. we got some really interesting feedback from some of the listeners and members of our team here in medical affairs of 
you know, just surprised because they don't really think about these things. It's really just kind of flying in the face of how they thought. And we realized that this list is longer than we thought. Hormones are complicated. So we thought we'd do another one of these and have it be part two in a long series. I mean, I feel like we had, we got through like two things on our list last time and we probably have about 20 on there. (laughs) So... I don't know. There's a couple things that did come up this week. One of them that I think is important to discuss is actually how we approach various reference ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, because on our new Endo Plus report, there's actually a couple different things to know about reference ranges and how that relates to serum versus saliva. And there's all these different things that you can consider when it relates to reference ranges. So I think that is another kind of gray area that we should dig into. I, I think you said it best once in one of your lectures. You said any lab test is only as good as its reference range. That's so true, right? right? I mean, if you have a bad reference range, that result, that numeric result that you're getting, it makes no sense. Meaningless. It's it's, it's actually worse than making no sense. It's probably t- taking you in the wrong direction could because be. it's mm-hmm. you could be high when it's the re- it's really just the reference range is wrong or vice versa. So um, that it's a test is nothing without a proper reference range for comparison. Okay, then let's talk about the reference ranges for the Endo Plus. And as you all know, because we've spoken about it on this show, the Endo Plus looks at hormones in blood, saliva, and urine. Let's start with the blood, Michael. I mean, that's pretty standard. People do a lot of hormone testing in blood. Where do the reference ranges come from? So for the most part, these analytes that are on the serum portion of the Endo Plus, in particular the sex hormones, you know, your estrogens, progesterone, testosterone, things of, things of that nature. Even thyroid. Yeah, exactly. Those are very conventional reference ranges. These are mostly FDA cleared assays. And so they're going to align very closely to anything that you might get if you're used to running serum hormones. Um, And so that's not there's not a whole lot of discussion or, or I guess, gray area Mm -hmm. as it relates to that. Um, The difference is actually when it gets into saliva and urine. Uh, and so I, I take a step back when we anytime we talk about reference ranges to just give people kind of this understanding that there's really kind of two major branch points about making a reference range. One being, are we looking at just a general population? Which all comers. Is all comers, which is a, a standard way of, of doing reference ranges. It's basically, you know, any any random person that you find and all random people that you find. And then you just look at the population distribution and then set your reference range based on that. If you're way outside the normal population, you know that bell curve, then that might tell you something. But I I would argue against that for this reason, because if I'm trying to, if I'm getting a lab to feel better, do I want to be just like everyone in the population or do I want to be like the healthy people in that population? So I think that might be one downfall of way of, of doing it, but there's a lot of ways population studies are used. Sure, absolutely. And, and you're right. I mean, you would assume that it's dependent on the population. So if like this is a U.S. population consuming a standard American diet right, and who right, have a certain number right. of comorbidities, sure. then being in the median or the middle of that bell curve, I mean, is that really healthy? No. Is that really where no. you want to be? But you Not would me. think that you would want to be there if you just looked at a lab result on, on a scale. Yeah. Um, the other way that, that we like to do it oftentimes here at Genova is we do a questionnaire qualified healthy cohort, which is to say... We try to exclude people who are, uh, frankly, un- unhealthy in, in many different varieties. We do standard of living. We do dietary intakes. We do uh, clinical condition exclusions. We do biomarker exclusions. And so all of these things help us narrow that 
what would be otherwise just kind of standard regular population to those within the population that you know are, are more healthy than than others and on the endo plus when it comes to urine and saliva we do just that we do healthy cohort questionnaire qualified so that you can look at a reference range and you're being compared to healthy not just all comers yeah exactly and even as it relates to uh like postmenopausal patients mm-hmm. uh postmenopausal females in particular in the saliva we are actually again looking at people who are asymptomatic mm-hmm. right because the really the question that we're trying to answer is like it, does it matter if somebody's taking a hormone and they're in line with everyone else who's taking a hormone and you don't know anything about their right. clinical presentation right. they could be hot flashing they could be miserable but because they're on hormones they contributed to this hormone replacement therapy based reference range we don't think that's the right way to go whether you're on hormones or not postmenopausally we want to know whether you are asymptomatic right and that is what governs the reference range for sal- salivary hormones even in postmenopausal female Females. It's that phantom S again. The same one at the end of your name. I know. But and that's that's all well and good. I think where the gray area really lies is we don't have a lot of large scale studies that demonstrate dose dependency alongside symptomatic relief, alongside uh, risk tolerance or lowering of risk. So that that to me is a, a major gray area. And I think to a certain extent why some clinicians just throw their hands up and they're like, I'm just going to treat symptomatically, which lot, is one of the things we're trying do. to do mm-hmm. by having a test like this, because right. we want to understand really what's the pharmacodynamics of these hormones, the hormone replacement. When are they showing up in the urine versus the saliva versus the serum? Furthermore, there's no industry standard. There's no governmental standards on people who are taking hormone replacement and what these levels should be. And to your point, most people go symptomatically. And we talked about that yeah. a little bit last yeah. time, too. Yeah, yeah. So that's enough reference range talk. Hmm. I know that's always like super duper thrilling to people to talk about <laughs> reference range and data analysis. We're but lab geeks. What else um, would you put in the bucket of Pandora's box around what we don't know about hormones? Well, I want to talk about urine and urine hormone testing. Because when I think of urine, urine is like the body's waste, what it doesn't need. It excretes things in urine including hormones, right? After you detoxify and sometimes parent hormones. So if someone has a low estrogen parent hormone in their urine, does that mean that they need more estrogen? Or does that mean the body has the exact amount it needs and the tissue level, what's circulating is exactly right. There's no excess to be spilled into the urine. I guess there's no way to know that unless you also did a circulating estrogen like we do on the endo plus is my question it's funny we actually last night i was going over my wife's results from mm-hmm. the uh, the endo plus little test that we did and uh she was like why is my why am i peeing out estradiol and esterone like what a waste of my body's cholesterol <laughs> and hormones like what right. why would it be doing that that's yeah. so dumb because you know the body the body doesn't know what it's doing you gotta call it dumb right. every once in a while mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but yeah, actually, to your point, you were just saying she did have a little bit of a higher level of estrogen. So could that actually just be? And she it was the urine estrogens weren't high; they were low normal, right? Mm. But they were still there, right? And so it begs the question, to your point, what is that really telling you? That low level is it? Is it really buffering excess? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you compare the parent hormones E1, E2, E3 in the urine? alongside the overall detoxification compounds like 2-hydroxy, 2-methoxy, mm-hmm. all those breakdown components. How do you add all that and sum all that together 
so that you understand really what's happening with if we're trying to extrapolate tissue levels right. of estrogen right. and impacts on the estrogen receptor and all these sort of things, right. then where are you feeling confident that low levels of estrogens in the urine is actually telling you that the body does not have enough systemic estrogen? Because I can tell you, when we looked at the serum, that was not the case. Well, my point to that was if it's normal in the serum, and low in the urine, could it be that the body has just enough estrogen that it needs? I don't know at the receptor site, but I know that in my head I think, okay, the levels are great in the blood, but low in the urine, so it must have exactly what it needs and no spillage or, or waste of it. However, if I were just to get a urine estrogen and see that, I would think, wow, I need more estrogen when in fact my circulating levels are normal or high. To take that one step further, mm -hmm. if you have circulating levels in your blood, of estrogen, for example, that are normal or high, how do we know that that necessarily translates that it's actually having activity in the tissues? Okay, this this is where it gets even a little bit more convoluted in my mind, um, because I think mostly you're referring to like postmenopausal females that are on hormone replacement therapy. You're saying when those levels are circulating, they might be normal in the serum or saliva or what have you. How do you know that that's impacting tissue receptor yeah, site application right, and, right. and changes to... Right. So I, here's one of the problems that we have with, with trying to figure this out is that um, what, we, what we've commonly done is we've looked at tissue biopsies. That's probably... There, there is some research on tissue biopsies, which is where I think a lot of these conclusions get drawn. And what happens is a lot of times we'll give, you know, a conservative or moderate dose of bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, usually progesterone, and that they will see changes in the expected tissues, whether that's, you know, uterine proliferation or, or, or some other type of tissue change. And I think the, the, the gray area here is that what often happens is if we give a dose and we see a change by tissue biopsy mm -hmm. and in the saliva you find that the result is somewhere in kind of the, the follicular or luteal range premenopausally mm -hmm. then you make the, this leap is made saying okay we've got a dose we've got a value of saliva result that looks like luteal right. and we've got tissue change right and so there's a connection saying okay now we just have to get all of these postmenopausal women to these luteal levels hmm. and what happens is oftentimes with that dose, we don't see a return to luteal levels in the serum, which is where that whole conversation comes from is people saying, oh, you don't see it show up in the serum. Mm. But I think an alternate hypothesis of what's going on is actually that <laughs> the body during luteal, the luteal or follicular, you have much higher hormones for a lot of different reasons, not just for uterine proliferation or all these other things, uh, it's quite likely that you don't need that large of a dose to get these sort of changes at the tissue level. Um, and that doesn't necessarily validate the salivary result. As we'll see, there's a lot of things. We've even just got, you know, handful, small end number of test results back. And we, we are seeing a little bit of this trending towards higher levels representatively in the saliva as compared to serum. Which, again, small in number, but we're not seeing that much of a uh, diversion in people who are not on hormones already. Um, and I think that's very interesting because some of like the 24-hour pharma pharmacodynamic studies of people who take topical progesterone will see this massive spike. 
you know, within a couple hours of application. And then within 24 hours, you see this return to baseline, right? So you're getting kind of this intermittent, uh, huge bolus in the, the saliva of this hormone. Um, you don't see that in the serum. What you tend to see in the serum is that over the course of time, you see the, the overall value increase, right? You see this gradual increase in the result of that hormone in the serum as compared to in the saliva where you see this up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. But that also brings up this concept of symptom relief versus tissue change. Clearly, we're not going to do tissue biopsies in all of these women, right? We're not going to be able to tissue I'm not biopsy. allowed to do one. <laughs> well, that would really be the only way to see. So if you have someone saying that this particular level gets you to luteal and it's associated with a specific tissue change, great. But across the board, that may not be the case for every person. Everybody's different, number one. And number two, it's also going to come down to symptom relief. I mean, Really, if you're, you're not going to biopsy everybody. You can do DEXA scans to look to see if they have osteoporosis. You can follow some of these other metrics, but you really aren't going to know. Yeah, I guess it's another you know gray area because how much do we need to know? Mm -hmm. um, because I think a lot of times the, the overall approach has always been lowest dose possible mm -hmm. to achieve what you need. And and the question, if you're, if you're talking about changes to tissue types, um, how much of that is really necessary? as compared to are we using these hormones from a preventative standpoint to prevent things like cognitive decline mm -hmm. and improve bone density and all these types of things that do come with uh, de declining levels of hormones. See, there's just so much we don't know. <laughs> so and many even, of these episodes we're gonna have to do. Oh my gosh, and even as you said, as these results are coming back for the endoplasm, we're actually seeing this bear out in results to try to make these comparisons. What's in the blood? What's in the urine? Does it depend if it's topical? Does it depend if, depend if it's oral? All week, we've made further lists of questions that we need to try to figure out. And even in this conversation we're having here today, now my mind is spinning in several other directions. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure- Yeah, we were just talking off air about right. some of the other things that we found Jeez. that, you know, I don't I think they're ready for prime time <laughs> to talk about here, but like- But there's a lot. It is it is fascinating what's, but, what's going on. But for the in the interest of time, in this part two of this- really long series. What's one more topic you want to hit as it relates to our questions, Michael Chapman? Okay. This might surprise uh -oh. you. What? But sex hormone binding globulin. Yeah. I think that this needs a little bit more spotlight than we have ever given it. Okay. Um, and it goes a little bit back to what we were talking about last week with respect to total testosterone, free mm -hmm. testosterone, right. and the role of sex hormone binding globulin. Right. But... What a lot of the research has shown is that <laughs> the the clinical conditions that drive up sex hormone binding globulin look awfully similar to the presentations and clinical conditions for low free testosterone. Let me so if you take free testosterone out of the picture entirely okay, um, and you just look at studies around sex hormone binding globulin, you find that sex hormone binding globulin is elevated in metabolic uh, in dysfunction, you see it's elevated in uh, low bone mass, low muscle mass. You see it's elevated in obesity. You see it's elevated in poor libido. You see it's elevated in poor concentration. And so it begs the question whether this whole thing about attributing a lot of these signs and symptoms to testosterone, in particular free testosterone, is actually what the what how those conditions are driving up sex hormone binding globulin hmm. which came first the chicken or the egg kind of a thing because which we solved several times on this the pre-chicken uh, go back in the episodes michael talks about that a lot but in my head as you were speaking it started to sort of make sense to me because i'm like okay 
high sex hormone binding globulin means you have less free testosterone and you get all of these similar symptoms. Your question then is, are the symptoms because you're low free testosterone or is there something about the metabolic syndrome or whatever metabolic condition causing high sex hormone binding globulin is actually the symptom? Sex hormone binding globulin (sighs) is the pre-chicken. God. Or is it? I don't know. Oh, Oh, saved by the submarine alarm. I hate that one with the white hot intensity of a thousand suns. It's the best one. <laughs> it's not the best one, but keep working on it. But we do have a question here, and this is a question that has come up many times, not only on social media, but in some of our calls with clinicians, and I'm sure the sales team also fielding these calls. Endoplus is, like we said, first of its kind. It's you can order blood, saliva, and urine all in one collection pack. You can build your own customizable panel. I only want salivary hormones and urinary estrogens. That's all I want. Like, you can build your own profile. You save money by doing so. Choose your own adventure, That's as you say. exactly right. So my question is, what are the logistics of ordering this? How does this work? Man, it's so easy. Is it? I know we're promoting it, you know, and we're, like, hyping it up and all yeah. that stuff. But it's so easy. So here's how it works. There's a base fee. So the minute you're like, I want to order it, there's a base fee. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that base fee, there's basic, there's an additional charge for each module that you build on. And the modules are, as you said, salivary sex hormones, uh, serum sex hormones, urine estrogens, cortisol, melatonin, and a whole bunch of add-ons. Thyroid is another module. So you can, uh, you can tailor it to the patient in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're calling it like personalized testing, basically, because everyone... No, sorry, I don't know why that's in there. That's what you get when you copy and paste from the prior week. Although I think I like know, the music. we should leave it. Let it go. Don't, you don't have to do, you do the British It does accent. make this feel more proper it and does. more dignified. But and don't so, do the voice. No, Just explain personalized <laughs> testing. I won't. Uh, and so... Basically, the patient in front of you might have different needs than the patient you just saw beforehand. So what you can do is you can pick and choose whichever parts of the test you'd like to order. It all comes in one box, right? So you've got serum tubes, salivary tubes, urine tubes. You've got a swab in case you want to do some genomics on Mm -hmm. top of that. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's all in one. And basically you go online, you check up whatever boxes you want to check. Check the boxes, yeah. And then bada boom, bada bing, drop ship right to the patient door if you like. Mm -hmm. However you like. It's all up to you. I mean, you're the doctor at the end of the day. You can have it whatever way you want. Good day, sir. <laughs> so Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk to Dr. Taz freaking Batia. She is like uber famous. You've seen her on TV a million times. And she happens to have a new book out called The Hormonal Shift. It's going to be awesome. We're going to talk hormones again with Dr. Taz. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. 
There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. So I keep hearing all about these rollerblades. Oh, I got a new rollerblade for Christmas. I'm going to bring them in. I haven't seen you bring them to the parking lot. I thought we were going to watch you from the window. Well, the weather hasn't been great. With your fancy tricks. I have been practicing, okay? Okay. I don't want to fall in the parking lot (laughs) on the first day out. So I have been going up and down my hallway. Okay. I'm getting my skills back. All right. I'm even practicing going backwards. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm close. I'm just needed to stop raining or being nine degrees or yeah. having trees fall everywhere or what have you. Well, Melissa has offered to come in with her roller skates, and so this might end up being a big party. Oh yeah, we've already talked about renting out a, a skating rink for the company. Like we're cool. we're on it. This, this is, is, gonna is be this fun. next generation. All right, let's bringing go. it back. <laughs> Get your inlines. <laughs>